Welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two middle-aged geek dads. See, I, <laughs> I changed it there. I see. Uh, I'm Ken Newquist, and I'm caught in a maze of endless meetings all alike. And I'm David Moore, and this week went somewhere. Uh, I'm not quite sure yet where. Uh, I think I'm going to have to check the caverns to see if I can find it. Um, Good luck. Thanks. Uh, what has gone on with with your week? Well, honestly, like aside from the endless series of meetings at work, and and you know, there's this this clever feature that Google tells you now in Google Calendar. It tells you exactly how many meetings you have, how oh, many really? hours of meeting per week it has, and it counts them all up for you. And I don't think it's help helping my mental health, but what is helping my <laughs> mental health, as he holds up the twi- the switch, uh, is uh, Animal Crossing. So my family uh, returned to Animal Crossing in force this fall because uh, the latest update that came out, the last big DLC, like free DLC push, and then there's a there's a purchase DLC as well that we haven't gotten that one yet. Um, and it has all the stuff that we've been waiting for, particularly my daughter's been waiting for, including the coffee shop, because you got to have the coffee shop. It's in the museum now. Uh, gyroids, which are these little like pieces of stone work that you you find fragments of them buried in the ground, and then you dig them up out of the ground, and then they make noises. And if you're really clever, which I am not, uh, you can turn them into just a nice little sound array of, you know, a nice little c- c- complimentary cacophony. Uh, my gotcha. daughter's better at this than I am. But, kind of kind of uh, like uh, that, note boxes in Minecraft? I've never done that, so I don't okay. know. But I'll okay. take your word for it. It's like one's going boing, boing, and the other one's bong, bong. Gotcha. Right? And they're just going rhythmically. And so if you can figure it out, you can set them up so that they, they make a pleasant sound rather than one that just wants you to, gives you a headache. Uh, gotcha. I do have an orchestra section to my island that I was planning on reworking with the gyroids, but uh, I haven't had time for that because of, you know, all the aforementioned meetings. Uh, there's also these new things called mysterious islands, which uh, you can travel to that have like different seasons. Uh, there's a whole new set of uh, things you can grow. So vegetables like tomatoes and potatoes, and then you can cook food. Uh, there's this big upgrade to Harz Island, which before you could go there and model different rooms if you were into that sort of thing. I never went okay. to Harz Island. Now there's a reason to go to Harz Island because Harz Island is where you can go to see the characters that would usually only come like once every couple of weeks if you play as frequently as me, uh, which made it hard to make progress in the game in some ways. And so now there's right. this place where you can visit a guy and he's he, uh, he will sell you the plants that you need. And there's another guy who sells you what is or is not fake artwork. <laughs> contribute to your museum. He's a long okay. red is a long, uh, long running part of Animal Crossing. It's just part of what goes with it. Uh, it's not earth shattering changes, but it gave us a reason to go back, and it's been cool. My daughter got it. We've been joking, I think, uh, that she should go, still go to class at college. Like, she should do that and not play Animal Crossing all day. Right. Um, right. Reasonably sure she's doing that. Okay. That's good. That's good. I mean, they yeah. they do have a there is a benefit uh, in college nowadays um, in that you can take your switch to class. Whereas when we were, you know, in college, you know, playing Masters of Orion or or something like that, that took or civilization that took hours and hours and hours, you had to be at that computer. You couldn't be in class because laptops weren't a thing. Very true. Civ 2. Yeah. Uh, Sim City. Yep. I actually got. Yep. I had a. I think I had a, a government class where we we actually got to play SimCity as as actually as part of class. So yes, yep. I mean, 
she's pretty smart. She can probably come up with a rationale as to why she should be using Animal Crossing in her class. But uh, <laughs> Sim so Tower she, is also another another one that I played, um, which actually started out as a uh, an elevator simulator for programming actual elevators. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I played Sim Ant. I played that for a little bit, not not for very long. I, it was not not as good as uh, the other Sim games. It was not everything that we had hoped it would be from a right. title like Sim Ant. I mean, Sim right. Ant should just be amazing, right? But sounds oh, like it. Apparently not. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember much of it. <laughs> so so that was cool, and it got my my son and my daughter and I all like geeking out and texting back and forth as uh, Animal Crossing came out and figuring out who got what. So it was cool. Like you know, my daughter's at college and still play video games. We're still talking about stuff. So it it was That's that cool. nice moment of connectivity uh, between us that you know it was. It was just a nice moment. It was nice to see it carried forward. Yeah. Uh, since we, you know, she's only been playing it for like 14 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> my other uh, awesomeness this week was uh, I finally got, and this is in no way a criticism of uh, of the folks behind it, uh, my Twilight 2000 box set, which I believe we talked about on several different episodes. Back the Kickstarter. I don't even remember where I backed the Kickstarter. It's been so long. It might've been the end of 2019. Okay. They had challenges with shipping and COVID. This box yeah. got stuck off the West coast for a while. Then it maybe got stuck in Indianapolis for a while. Or I'm not quite sure, but eventually right. it made itself to me, made its way to me. That was fantastic. It has funky dice. I don't have any idea what they do, um, but they're cool. And they've got like bullets and the the target symbols and, and what have you. So, uh, it is inspired by the original game, but does not use the same mechanics as the original game. It also came gotcha. with a beautiful, beautiful screensaver. Uh, not screensaver. Screensaver, oh yeah. Yeah, screensaver. I'll just put this up in front of it. So I'm holding up the uh, tri-panel uh, screensaver. Uh, we are streaming on Twitch. So, yeah. you know, at some point we'll actually promote when we're streaming on Twitch and you guys can instead see these things just, in real time. Instead of just like, oh, we're about to record. Maybe we should stream. Um, right uh but it's beautiful i mean it's 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 uh it looks like world war three that never was which is the yeah. setup for twilight 2000 um so that was pretty cool i was very excited there's chapters on poland and sweden and now i just need some time to read it but you know meetings cool <laughs> so yeah. what have you been up to <laughs> hopefully um, not meetings yeah uh, as i said this the the week has gone somewhere um the uh mostly work um not meetings but code uh trying to implement micro front ends on a very large project um and uh running into all of the pitfalls that 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 has uh i i described it like like this uh to some of the people that i work with i'll i'll debug things for a while um you know it could be a couple hours could be a day or so and then five minutes after I run into another issue. Um, so that has been most of my day, days over this last week or so. Um, but uh, Skyrim Anniversary Edition came out. Ooh. And well, yeah, I got it again. Uh, I didn't get all the <laughs> DLC in the previous one. Um, so I have, uh, I just had like the vanilla Skyrim, um, not even the, the special edition. So I uh, like I think I'm going through the Dawn Guard DLC at the moment, you know, the the quest lines. 
Um, and they've got more places, more housing areas that you're at. So there's like a, uh, a, a little, uh, homestead right outside of, um, winter home. I think it is, uh, that okay. has, that hasn't, it's, it's already pre-built like one of the earlier, I do have the earlier one that allows you to build a house. Um, but this one, it's like, everything is already there, you know, 7,000 gold here at 7,000. You just, it's got the enchanting. It's got the alchemy. It's got all the smithing, all this, it's all set up. And in the basement, actually, there's like a trophy room. And so like, like, for all the dragon priest masks, for all of the claws that get you into cer certain tombs, it's got an area for each of those things. And then a bunch of display cases and mannequins and everything like that already built that you can show off your armors and all that kind of stuff. So if you have, uh, you know, part of, I think the appeal of Skyrim is the collecting of the special things. And this allows you to show off all the special things in a, in, you know, in a certain way. So right. it's, it's been pretty fun so far. I'm not super far into it. Um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it is, it also still has a lot of the glitches that you would think that an anniversary edition would go and, and get rid of, um, or, or try and work on. But some of them are are still there, although it does run pretty darn well. Um, load times are really short. Um, the one thing I haven't found is any fortify alchemy items, which was a big bug in the previous okay. ones where you could get into a certain loop and get like, oh, you can you can your potions are 10,000 times more effective. Um, and I don't know if they just took all those items out of the game. So you can't do the loop at all. Um, I've been trying, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I won't go crazy with it, but you know, it's, it, it's a fun thing to do. It, it's one of those things that it's not a bug. It's a feature in this game, uh, with, with some of those exploits like that. Um, right. and I am trying oh so hard not to be the, the stealth sniper, but then the bow, the the early, early on in the game, the game gave me a quest where I killed a, an assassin and the assassin has a special bow that when you draw the bow, it makes you invisible. So it's like, oh, my God, the game, the game is like, <laughs> you really do want to be a stealth assassin. And and it's it's one of those things where uh, if you put the bow away and pull it back out, it makes you invisible again. Um, so, uh, so you can shoot an arrow, put the bow away, pull it back out again, which is just two button presses on a controller, uh, and you're invisible again. And that doesn't mean that the enemy won't find you, but it makes it much, much harder. You It never really even gave you a chance to try something else. Right, right. So I am trying like a one-handed, uh, one-handed weapon, other hand casting um sort of thing but yeah it keeps giving me cool bow things uh and such so uh and and evidently skyrim also for dawn guard added crossbows um yes which is uh which are quite fun and i've been using on smaller creatures as 
uh, I enchanted one. I I made it better on the on the the in the smithing area, and then I enchanted it with soul trap, so that I can shoot spiders and collect their souls, and then <laughs> enchant things. As one does. Yeah. As one does. I'm also I'm also actually playing Skyrim. I got it. I think last Christmas for for the Switch. Okay. And uh, it's ama- it just amazes me that I can just like take it wherever I want now. Um, and so I went away for a couple of days last week, uh, just like a little mental health vacation. And uh, I was playing Skyrim. I, I probably played too much Skyrim. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's the temptation of the bow, right? It's, the yeah. bow is just so good. <laughs> yeah. And especially with a controller. Like, like it's it's not too bad to do some hand-to-hand with a controller. But um, but with the joysticks, it's it can be super easy to lose where your enemy is. Whereas with like, if I would decided to play mouse and keyboard, it would be easier for me to to kind of spin in place and and focus right. up again. Um, and then I think there's different types of attacks that you can do um, depending right. on how you're moving the controller um, or the mouse. But uh, but I just kind of button mash when I end up doing that so um yeah so yeah skyrim's fun uh i've also been doing a lot of reading i'm i'm glad i'm still uh finding time to read um for there's a long portion of my life where uh i i didn't read as much um and so i've been going through and uh it turns out that my library is finally connected uh, that Libby, that that app connects to the Kindle, so that it will send my library books to the Kindle as well. So I'm not spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on <laughs> on books, but I'm still enjoying them. Um, I, I've read like six novels and novellas over the last two months, at least. Uh, I've got a list that I'll put in the show notes, um, but uh, it's been. Uh, a good time to unwind without a real screen. Uh, even though I'm reading on the Kindle, it's, it's not a computer screen. I don't have to sit in my chair. Um, it's been really, really good for getting me out of my own head. And, uh, and, uh, some of the books are definitely inspirations for Dyson fall. Um, and also spoiler alert, I still enjoy Lois McMaster Bujold as an author. Um, <laughs> Specifically, this time, uh, Pen- the Penrick and Desdemona novella series, which is really good. I just finished another one um, yesterday, and I may be picking another one up today <laughs> to continue that. <laughs> they're they're novellas, so they're small. So, yeah. Um, but uh, for those of you out there, uh, we are doing something a little bit different in season two, and so this is kind of our. Um, our main topic today is kind of our run up to season two, like, or, or maybe season three. We're, we're still not quite sure. Um, you know, uh, we're looking to focus on a actual play and on a particular game, scum and villainy. Um, and we've invited some friends of ours to play with us, um, who've also agreed that it's okay to record them and it's okay to be possibly on Twitch. Um, so we'll see about that. Um, but we want to talk about preparing for the game. And then in early 2022, we're going to actually play. Um, 
and uh but and as ken and i have both discussed you know you'd be like why why don't you just start um well the holidays as we have said <laughs> either make for a great stretch of gaming like if you're home from college and all your friends are home from college it works out great or if you're like us usually it's uh, a great uh, a great time for the long dark tea time of gaming um and uh everyone goes and does family things and scatters to the four winds and that is the time when games die so um but yeah we're we're planning on streaming on twitch um both preparatory episodes and the sessions uh we may be doing a a one shot that we will not be recording but just to get everybody familiar with the rules and setting etc um and uh we'll also still have some traditional season one style episodes if uh, i think is the best way to put it um but i've been talking for a little while so ken why don't you take over for a little bit yeah sure so we uh we decided on scum and villainy. And so I, I will say as to whether or not we have it, what season two and what season three, like if we actually had the plan, it wouldn't be a layer of secret season <laughs> because you find out the plan at the end of the season. It's like the big reveal, like where we were going. Right. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if it's logical to break for season two and have like a lot, you know, a, this is going to be season three that we'll do that. If not, it might just be one big long season, but either way, stay along for the adventure. Uh, so we're, we're talking about Scum and Villainy. Uh, we've talked about Scum and Villainy, I think, once or twice in the past. And so uh, Scum and Villainy is inspired by uh, or descended from Blades in the Dark, which uh, we had a short-lived campaign where we played uh, Blades in the Dark. It's part of the Forge in the Dark series. Holding up my book right now, which uh, yeah. I'm making some good progress on in terms of reading. I am jumping around a lot just to, like, pick up different rules and what have you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you very rarely will read a gaming book cover to cover in order <laughs> yes yeah very very true very true and, and like i'm not as interested in the character part right now like as a player i will want to go back and read through the character stuff but as a potential gm and that's one of the things we'll be figuring out like understanding the mechanics that's that's where my headspace is at right now is understanding the mechanics and like the cool stuff and the stuff that's like oh we may have to spend a little more time on that um, but scum and villainy overall is well as you might expect it is inspired by like Scum and villainy in Star Wars, right? So, uh, and and also, I, I think they draw draw inspiration from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Serenity, and uh, and Firefly, like that kind of like small crew, maybe Definitely. on the run, maybe bounty hunters. Uh, there's actually a couple different options within the book, and one of the things with setting up the campaign is we'll need to figure out like what we want our ship to be and what we want our crew to be. Um, but it's and it's cool. So it's got the same sort of setup and structure that uh, Blades in the Dark has in that you're a crew, you're trying to do stuff in the galaxy. Maybe you're fighting some evil empire. Maybe you're just trying to scrap by on the outer systems. Maybe you're bounty hunters, whatever. Um, and the job is going to start in the middle, and you're going to like fill in the details around the, the edges of it. Um, and it's got the, the cool mechanics from from Blades in the Dark. I will say I haven't read deeply enough into Blades in the Dark to be able to call out like specific new new mechanics in this particular game so at some point i might have to go back and reread the um blades in the dark but if nothing else this the setting is different and uh it's 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 a cool setting <laughs> yeah i haven't i haven't seen anything that's jumped out at me as being drastically different from blades in the dark um you know i'm i'm as as you are jumping jumping around in the book um and 
we're trying to, you know, like things like clocks and a devil's bargain, um, downtime, those things that are in blades in the dark are also in scum and villainy. Um, so I haven't, yeah, I haven't also have not seen a lot of those things, uh, new things. Um, it's, it's a lot of setting and flavor, um, and how do you, how to, and, and the, the way characters are, the types of characters you have. And then I, I think the new thing, the major difference is you're on a ship and the ship has its own sheet. Whereas like in blades in the dark, you had a, a crew or a gang and the gang and the hideout had its own sheet. Right. Um, right. So. so looking at some things that we're, we're excited about or, or games that we like mechanics are like, oh, this is cool. And so I, I guess possibly, we should answer the question like why uh scum and villainy we talked about a couple of different games good question. Fate, obviously it was in the running because we love fate uh but i think the answer was all of our friends were talking about scum and villainy <laughs> it, that <laughs> and was so half we of it. Of, like pulling it together <laughs> yeah that was at least half of it uh the other part of it is at the beginning of the book um it says you know it basically a, a I'll, I'll use the term heist but a, a heist or an adventure is one session you know, a high, it, it's an adventure and some downtime and, and et cetera. And then the next session is completely new adventure. Um, and that, and they also said that uh, there's a minimum of prep that the GM would need to do. Um, I'm not quite sure that I agree with that, but, um, but the idea is, is, um, you know, other than, like NPCs, the 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 characters decide what the heist. A lot of times, what the heist is going to be. You know, if the if the GM has someone they'd like to do, you know, they can they can offer it. But because of the nature of the game, I think that this is where that comes from. Is is because of the nature of the game, it's got to be fluid because the the party decides: Are you going to go in? guns blazing are you going to go in and talking are you going to sneak whatever and all of those things like to prep for all of that would be insane um right and we just don't <laughs> have the time for that um and so and so the game is more fluid in in that sense um and so that's another reason why we we chose it is because we don't have the time uh to plan a two-year-long campaign um right right yeah, so I think the the immediate rest uh, beginning, saying saying that right, yeah, well, I close enough. Was trying to think about that too. <laughs> I, I've heard it, rest, raise, raise. You know, I I don't I don't know that someone correct us. <laughs> we're not here to pronounce things. We're here to talk about games, right? Uh, in any case, starting in the middle. And so like we were just talking about, you know, that's it's a cool, it's a it's an awesome mechanic. Uh, as we saw in Blades in the Dark when we were playing it previously, uh, it. It makes your brain work in interesting ways. Uh, I, I think uh, I see this in my lunchtime game. I've seen it in my D&D games. Like we spend as gamers, we spend so much time planning, right? And coming yes. up with whatever the plan is going to be. And then you execute the plan, which like at least half the time completely falls apart. Uh, so why don't you just skip to the falling apart part or yeah. the place where it goes awesome. And if you have a question as to how you got there, well, cool, we have mechanics for that. So I think that's uh, that's a cool mechanic. I look, I look forward to going back to it. I wish I was using it in our lunchtime game now because I think it would be fantastic. <laughs> Because uh, all of our stuff is heists and we're terrible at it. I mean, it, that is something I think uh, <laughs> that's one of the things that, <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that really drew me into Blaze in the Dark initially. Um, and then, 
scum and villainy later because I'm also a big Star Wars fan. Um, I used to play Shadowrun a lot, and we'd do two or three entire sessions of just planning the run. Um, (laughs) And then it would be maybe one to three sessions of the actual run happening and all of our plans going out the window. Um, And uh, and the idea was, is, hey, you can skip all that planning uh, and just get right to the run. And I thought that was really, really cool of an idea. Um, and, and the way they accomplish it is, I, I mentioned a little bit ago, was the crew chooses an approach. And then you make a roll and see how that approach worked. And, you know, and that's the situation that you get dropped into. Um, you know, if you roll, if you roll poorly, you know, uh, maybe when you're smoozing to get into the party, uh, you, your schmoozing doesn't go well. And now you're getting kicked out of the party go, um, or you schmoozed your way into the party and, and you're, you're doing great go. Um, and so, and that's, and see that, and that's how you can't plan for that. Um, right. Without. Right. And then you get to the, the locked door that has the Uber security system and, uh, you know, Oh wait, there's, you know, all of this stuff that you're like, Oh my gosh, how did this get here? What are we going to do about it? Well, we flash back and figure out what we're going to do about it. Right. Right. Um, instead of like having, Oh, Oh, how about we retcon that? Right. You know, I know we spent three week three sessions planning this, but obviously we would have figured yeah. this out. So why don't we just say that we did it? Right. Yeah. Or, um, so this game. Yeah. Or, or like in my group, we'd be like, okay, we got to case the joint. We got to look at things. And, and that can be the game itself is that pre-run run of like doing investigation, doing research, casing the joint, whatever, figuring out that this is the, the security system. Okay, how do we beat that? You know, Scum and Villainy allows you to do a flashback. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love our lunchtime game. I love our heists, uh, even if they, they occasionally even go off swimmingly. Uh, but this, I love this mechanic. I think I'm looking forward to that. Uh, another great mechanic that we've talked about before is clocks, which is a way of, of tracking progress for, for towards like short and long-term goals, challenges, threats, what have you. We could, we could talk about clocks for a whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. We it's, may talk about clocks for a full episode. <laughs> we might, we might. It's a, it, I have, I have stolen clocks liberally and used them in my other games. So, um, and I, I, I need to apologize if, if anybody's hearing, uh, my dog Zoe in the background, she wants something, but is just content to lay there and yip rather than you know, <laughs> actually tell us exactly what she wants. Um, so hopefully someone will come and not, I don't have to, hopefully I won't have to stop. Apologies. <laughs> it's understood. It's, it's all just a slice of life, right? Yep. Um, the devil's bargain. I think, um, I think this is an interesting thing, except like a setback plot complication or something else interesting for an extra die when attempting a task. And we'll talk a little bit more about the dice mechanic later on. Um, I think this is cool. I don't know that we leveraged it as much as we could have in when we were doing blades in the dark. Um, but I, I like the idea, just like, you know, compelling an aspect in, in fate or other mechanics and other systems where it's like, do something cool, like incentivizing you to do things, accepting complications and making life interesting. I think, Games that offer you a, an incentive for doing that um, often lead to better role playing, at least in my experience. Yeah, um, and and the neat thing about the Devil's Bargain is it's completely up to the player whether or not they want to take it. 
they can right they they can they can take it and accept it uh and then they get a bonus die immediately or they can take their chances at a possible failure um and not accept the devil's bargain um that's something i think we'll need to go into a little bit i i need to read more um right. to really give good examples and I, and it's one of the things that i i also like about this and fate style games is um like it's got things built in to the the rule book itself explaining but also the rules themselves of like normally the gm would come up with the devil's bargain but if the players have a good suggestion for a devil's bargain there's nothing stopping the gm from saying yeah that's a good one let's use it um right normally in traditional traditional role-playing games you don't normally get that sort of option as a player to make suggestions for what can happen there's nothing stopping it but it's not explicitly written into the rules that you can do it right and i think i think in the book one of the examples they give is that the, the, the crew is coming out of their ship they just docked at the space station uh, oh, and hey, like a rival gang shows up and is confronting them, right? And so as a way of trying to talk their way past it, uh, they might have to burn a source, you know, to say, yeah. hey, well, you know, you know, I'll give you a name if you let us through sort of thing, right? And now the the devil's bargain is you, you burned a source. That's going to come back to bite you at some point in the future because, of course, right. it should. Right. <laughs> um. So another thing that I'm excited about, uh, it'll be interesting as we're working through this because the, the the when we do our actual play, it'll be a limited run. So we want to like kind of gather our resources and figure out where we're going to be focusing. But downtime, I love these games how they approach downtime. I think you know lots of games have downtime. D and D introduced a whole bunch of stuff uh, for downtime in Xanathar's Guide. Um, but I think the thing about Forge in the in the Dark style games is that it's baked into the DNA, right? It, it's part of what your character when you're in the on the heist or the job or whatever, you're spending resources. Downtime gives you a chance to recover those resources while also advancing the plot in interesting ways. And so I think it compels and rewards downtime, which is exciting to me because I think downtime when it works well, it just it advances the plot, advances the timeline. You know, you don't go from level one to level ten in a month because there was never any downtime, right? Yeah, and, and uh, when you say resources, you're not meaning money and things. You're meaning things like the in-game, like uh, character abilities, uh, I right. think is a good way right. to The recharge on character abilities. Yeah. yeah. Um, things that you can only use once per session. But if you don't use the downtime to recharge them, they may not be available in the next session. Um, so it's not like an automatic refresh for some of these things. Uh, which is also right. kind of cool because you could you could kind of string together a couple of things in a row um, if the if the crew decides not to do downtime or not to fully utilize their downtime and that could end up hurting them. Um, but it's a risk reward sort of thing because because there are things that can happen in downtime that aren't so fun, you know, right. <laughs> and like so as examples of downtime, I, I, like just narratively, I really enjoy downtime and in, in particularly in comic books because this is where you you often see it and so yeah. uh hawkeye my life as a weapon fantastic graphic novel if you haven't read it you should totally read it but it's it's hawkeye from the avengers when he's not with the avengers right and so he's just got like this rundown apartment on the fourth story of some apartment building in new york city like 
there's like Russian gangsters he's got to deal with. There's like his neighbors he has to deal with. There's his prodigy he's got to deal with. He's got Pizza Dog, who is just like this dog that wanders in and eats all his pizza. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, you know, pizza dog just he's there, right? And so that kind of stuff I just think is cool because there's these slice of life. And you don't normally get that. You, If you don't have a mechanic that's incentivizing it, you don't always get that unless you're purposely as a group trying to find ways to do it. I've certainly done yeah. it in D&D when I ran my my urban campaign, uh, my Dark City campaign many years ago. We did that. Like every third, fourth session was really downtime and just what individuals were doing in the city because the urban environment was so important and building those connections in the city was so important. But you have to be purposeful about it. Blades yeah. in the Dark and, and Scum and Villainy, it's built in. And it allows you to turn your game into a bit more of a soap opera. Which, you know, yeah. with the, like, I, I mean, that's kind of what downtime, that slice of life thing could definitely be more soap opera like. Um, yes. You know, it, it, and it allows for more non adventure role play. Yeah. You know, those romantic entanglements, right? Like, those are things that you're not necessarily doing in your standard dungeon crawl or, you know, right. high octane adventure type thing, right? But, when you have a downtime mechanic, you have a reason to have, like your character could have a family that they, that's part of how they, you know, recharge. Right. Right. And also my other example of a pastime or like downtime is the X-Men playing baseball, right? Like this periodically happens in the X-Men where they just get together and they use their powers or maybe they don't use their powers and they play baseball. And so it's a chance to have like a little bit of that soap opera, like exposition happening in the field. And it's just fun to watch X-Men play baseball. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I wonder how new that is in X-Men. Sorry, tangent. But like I when I used to read X-Men, I do not recall. It's probably only one issue. So it's probably would have been easy for me to miss. But I don't yeah. recall them ever playing baseball. Oh, it's it's a recurring trope going back decades. I think it's hard to tell because when I started reading the X-Men, it was in the it was at the tail end of the 80s. And into the early 90s and then i read backwards because you know teenager with a lot of disposable income buy comic books sure uh so i have the i have a very long run of x-men going back into the 80s i think chris claremont um probably introduced it but okay. i can't tell because uh most of his most of what i read at that point was was his stuff gotcha. um yeah it just it pops up every once in a while like it's certainly like you could probably go two years without having a baseball issue of of uh of the x-men but it is definitely a thing that happens periodically. So, um, but it's fun. Like, just what do your characters do when they're not off on a job, right? Maybe they're part of a softball league. Like, I don't know. Right? Uh, um, That's cool. the other thing we were talking that was interesting, and like you say, it's, it has parallels in Blades in the Dark is uh, crew and ship advancement, right? And so, a lot of games you have to jump through hoops to figure out why the heck this band of misfits is together and, and scum and villainy is going to give you an answer to that because you're going to pick your ship, which is going to inform your crew, or you're going to have your crew, which is going to inform your ship one way or the other. But it, I think it helps gel things. And even if you had that kind of very collection of people who are coming together with different backgrounds and classes, you would, um, you would still, the ship provides them with an impetus for doing it because in the, in the game ships provide you with different kinds of backgrounds. So there's like we said, the bounty hunter ship, there's like the freedom fighter ship, can't remember what the third ship is. Um, Bounty hunter, freedom fighter, uh, smugglers, smugglers, that's like free trader type yep. individuals living on the edge, trying to make a credit. Um, and so you have that impetus, right? And then so the ships have abilities that are tied to that idea, which as you improve and you develop your your 
characters over time, you're also improving improving your crew and ship over time, and that provides you with resources that you can tag in when you're on future adventures. I think it's a cool mechanic. Yeah, and it, I'm excited to try it. And we kind of you and I off off of the podcast had talked about it. You know, like in the in the book, they have you make your crew, and then they have you decide on the ship. But like those sections could easily be reversed and you would have a different, like if you chose your ship first, you would have a different crew creation based on the ship that you guys chose right? as players. But then if you make all the characters, they may not be in this, in the, they may not quite fit onto the ship that you guys all choose. And maybe there's some back and forth when we when we do it. Or if you've read the rules, you know that ships are coming up. So maybe you talk about that when you're creating characters. Um, right. It, it that that part of that decision is going to be interesting to me because um, that's going to really de- define kind of the flavors of the game. And you don't have to make characters that quite fit on the ship. That actually right. is probably good not to like in Firefly. You know, you have Simon who definitely does not fit in with a spacefaring crew. You know, uh, you you have you have Jane who's definitely doesn't fit in with the crew in a different way. Right. But they all work together as an ensemble cast. So um, I'm going to be interested in seeing how that works with our group. <laughs> and even, you know classic star wars right like the millennium falcon you end up with a point at you know one point in a new hope you've got this farm boy who thinks he knows things about magic stuff this old wizard that wandered out of the desert you know the the scoundrel and his uh you know soulmate (laughs) alien right who he freed from slavery at the hands of the empire and then they pick up a princess along the way i mean right (laughs) and then some droids and then some droids, right? Yeah, I can't forget about the droids, right? So, I mean, that's a, a whole hodgepodge. So, I mean, either way, having those those conflicts is good, but uh, I'm curious to see how that that mechanic actually plays out. Yeah. Yep. So there were there were some challenges we talked about that uh, that we can see. It's particular, some of them are related to the kind of game that we're trying to run and understanding like what our own limitations are as as adults, as those aforementioned middle aged adults mm-hmm. <laughs> who have limited time for prep and what have you. Mixed um, with the fact that we're doing this as a podcast video stream. Yes. Yeah. So we and, and we know we're also mindful, like we don't necessarily want to have like a six hour stream. Maybe you folks would watch it, but um it's an awful lot of video in one sitting. So yeah. we're we're thinking uh sessions might run like two, two and a half hours, uh based on prior experience. You know, if we're starting in the early-ish evening, that might get us to nine o'clock, ten o'clock before we all turn into pumpkins and need to go back to sleep. Uh so that that's that puts a limit on how much you can get done in a particular session. And so I think one of my questions is like with this system, you know, did you get to a heist in a single in a two and a half hour session that includes the downtime? Because that because that would advance mechanics quickly. Right. Um you can certainly do it with D D. Um can you tell that whole, you know, can you tell a a, a, a satisfying arc in two and a half hours, or is it like it's always going to be a one-two punch because that's the equivalent of a full like a full four or five hour session? Yeah, I was going to say like there's, I mean, you've run your lunchtime game, which is only an hour, um, yeah. and then you've you know, I think both of us have run you know four, five, six hour games as well. The type and quality 
of those games are different. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but there there are different flavors of those games. It's going to depend. Like I I tend to like more narrative and role playing type games, which should fit in that time frame. Um, but it like it would be really hard to do a battle map focused. And that's not what that's not what Fortune of the Dark games are. But it'd be really hard to do a battle map focused set of games and not just have one game be a combat or a part of a combat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll it'll also depend on like, are we going to have to like cut some of our descriptions short or some of our scenes short, you know, and and just have it be, you know, okay, we're going to end the scene here and we're going to pick it up over here, even though my temptation would be, okay, let's play it out completely. Right. But we just won't have that time. Yeah, I will say in my, in my lunchtime game where our GURPS Light uh, Fast and the Furious inspired ripped off game, we've actually gotten to this interesting place over the last couple of weeks where we keep ending on the perfect cliffhanger for nice. the next episode. Nice. Uh, and part of that is our DM. He was he was saying like he has figured it out, like how to perfectly end on that note. And he, and he just keeps he keeps landing. I don't know how long he'll be able to keep it up for, but it is. We have to kind of, once you develop that cadence, you can get to it, but it takes it takes some time to get to it. And I, I'd say D&D... I've hit it and I've not hit it. Most recently, as they get into kind of like this, what do we do next kind of mode, it was harder because I wasn't sure what they were going to do next. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think things tend to settle down. That's one of the things we're going to need to figure out. We also have like resource constraints, our time and our attention spans. Like after a a day of work, sitting down to do a podcast and try and be focused and, and play a game, like it all just kind of taxes your mental energies. And so you can kind of see that little clock. (laughs) Yeah, uh, building up or running down as our resources are are depleting. So we're also trying to be mindful of that too. Right. Another thing uh, that, and I think I take this from the from the Brendlewood Bay game uh, experience points. Um, so like Brendlewood Bay, uh, Blades in the Dark, and um, and Scum and Villainy both have like this XP where you get XP for doing things that are related to your um, to your class to your to your character. Right. So there's certain things that if you role play this or if you you bring your vice into play or some other thing uh the game is going to reward you at the end of the session because you did those things and i think the challenge we ran into sometimes with brenda wood bay was like retroactively figuring did i meet my goals as opposed to kind of keeping those at the forefront of your mind to know hey uh, i have this little incentive to kind of reinforce my character concept i should try and work that in and sometimes it just you don't want to force it right but yeah i think that was one of the challenges we ran in at least from my perspective i think in uh Scum and villainy, it's going to be a little easier to do uh, because each, like in Brindlewood Bay, everyone custom created their character and custom created those XP points. Whereas right. in Scum and Villainy, everyone's doing a like a playbook of, you know, like I'm playing a heavy. Um, that's not in there. I just made it up. But like if, if you're, say, playing a heavy and, you know, you overcome an obstacle with physical violence, you get an XP you know, as, as an example, you know, so it's easier for you to know your own XP points, uh, your XP triggers than I think Brindlewood Bay was. So I think that's going to be a little easier, but it's definitely going to be something to get used to because I don't think any of us, um, playing are super familiar with games that do that. It's more, more D and D where it's like everybody gets individual XP or group XP or, milestone improvements right 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 and then this i think is a little more hey i'm playing drax i should punch things yes 
Yes. <laughs> so something that I think is it's it's interesting, but it's also challenging because it's going to make our brains work in a different way is uh, like figuring out the encounter difficulties, right? And this goes to what you were talking about earlier, where it's, it's very collaborative and there's less prep for the GM. But part of that goes to like as players, you're not just showing up to play a game, you're showing up to collaborate on playing a game, which isn't to say that there isn't collaboration on other styles of games, but it really reinforces it with this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the examples, um, like in terms of encounter difficulties, one of the examples uh, of play in the game is, you know, they're they're landing at a spaceport and uh, you kind of touched on it earlier of like the, the guy who's there, um, who's supposed to inspect your cargo, something has changed politically and they aren't just being let in. And so, and but in the middle of that, like 12 guys stroll in as, you know, the, the heavies um, that are uh, kind of doing the shakedown on the crew that's landing. And, you know, there's a bunch of options there. Yes, you could do the crew versus 12 guys, but probably that might not go so well. And so like the approach there is more like intimidating them and, and such like that. And for someone, for someone like me, that's gone through a, uh, like a lot of D and D upbringing, a lot of more traditional game upbringing, that would just be like a straight up fight, not necessarily a role play and intimidate through it. Even when doing fate, you might think of those guys as, you know, like, like the, uh, fate calls them mooks, but like the, the tissue paper type type guys. And so at least in spirit of the century, which is what I'm most used to playing with fate, you're going to kind of mop the floor with them. Whereas scum and villainy, that's not necessarily the case. Feeling that out is going to be kind of interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of in tandem with that, there's, um, there's that back and forth, I think, which is cool. Right, like, mm-hmm. the, well, how about this? And so, you know, I think as the as the GM, I think you're you're pitching. Here's how I see the situation, and the players are more likely to be able to say, well, hey, you know, what about this, this, and this? And you're like, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, but there's also, I think, the question of remembering what you can do and when you can do it. And I remember mm-hmm. this being a challenge for me in Blades in the Dark, which is you get you can always add basically three additional dice to your roll. You're going to get a pool of dice based on your can't remember if they're called skills. I think they're skills. Yeah. Uh, in in scum and villainy, right? And so you have that kind of base, but you know you can add to it. And so one thing you can do is you can pull in your gambit, which is kind of like general luck, weirdness, whatever that's associated with a ship or the crew. It's a pooled resource. I think to start you get two, um, but it may depend on the ship. Uh, and so that's just a, a resource that anybody could tap, and and you get a die. There's the devil bargain, devil's bargain, which we already talked about. And you have to remember, though, I think that's one of the challenges. Like we, it's a good challenge to say. I'm I'm up my back's up against the wall. I wonder what I've got how, in my back. How do pocket, I get extra right? dice? Yeah. Right, right. Uh and, and then, then other people uh, can help as well. Right. Other I people think. can help. And yeah, and so the assist. And so I think the challenge with the assist is is different in so much it's like trying to, to get the narrative spin on it, right? Like so it's not just a, a dice bump, but it's a and I did this, I do this thing to help you rather than just, yeah, I assist on your survival check, right? Um, so remembering those things, remembering to leverage them and just kind of bringing them to the fore, I think is, it's just a, it's a thing as we work through, as we learn the mechanic and really like remember the mechanic and use the mechanic. It's one of those things that we'll need to to focus on. And, and combat's different as well. I mean, it's not like yes. round to round. It's more like 
this is what happened in this narrative time frame. Um, and there might be several, several roles for it, but it, that's one of the things that I really need to, it's, it's yet, it's just another conflict at that point. Yeah. Narratively uh, and game wise, I'm going to need to really read into how would combat work and, and remember how to do that. Yeah. And I think there, there's a lot of uh, my sense in reading through it this week was that there's a lot of judgment calls kind of like fate. There's a lot of fluidity around skills and what they can be used for. Mm-hmm. And, and often I think that's, decided collaboratively at the table. So I, I actually managed to flip open to the right page in the book. And like, so you've got, you know, these uh, actions and, and attribute ratings. And so there's things like doctor, hack, rig, study, helm, scramble, uh, scrap. And I think scrap's like the fight one, but you're in an encounter and you might, you know, figure out a way that you could use skulk in the combat to like, you know, sweep the leg or what have you. Right. Right. And I think it's that, the game is encouraging that back and forth of like, you've got your skills just because you're the doctor doesn't mean you're going to sit off to the side and do nothing. Right. Right. You whip out the syringe and just sneak, you know, a little, a little jab. Right. And suddenly that guy's your friend or something. Yeah. Somebody, somebody uh, decks someone and they come into range and you happen to have the injector rather than being in the fight, you inject someone as they happen to be nearest you, but not focused on you. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff that in there that, allows you to be in a fight even if you're not a combat character and it's much more of a television or movie fight um right. than it is uh, a traditional game fight where everybody has to be a combat person right and that's why i like the i like the potential like we had in the in the army corps of engineers game with fate where you know feeding the monster a special brownie Right. Getting him to be your friend is legitimate strategy. Right. I don't know that it goes quite to that extreme, but it does get you to think differently about the skills that you have on your character sheet and how they might be leveraged in any particular encounter. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really looking fun forward to like, it kind of opens up, it restricts in some way, but opens up in others, how the game is going to flow. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to telling cool stories collaboratively. So there's some logistics we're also going to need to figure out as we're, as we're kind of setting up the, the campaign um, right. one game master or two. Yep. Or more, who knows? Or more, I think or more, you could do yeah, I anthology think, style. I think <laughs> one or two for this initial run, but if we enjoy it so much, we might, can, we might do more. Yeah. I mean, we are doing a very limited, we, we know that we're only doing a few months of games. We're not doing, a year or two years of games. Yeah. One or one or two game masters is, is still up in the air, but I, I like the, you know, because each session should be a self-contained adventure and downtime, etc., And then the next session is completely new. We could do more of an anthology style of things, you know, or more episodic style of, of game or television show type of game. Right. Different writers on different seasons. You know, you have multiple writers on the same season. Right. There's a different vibe for some of those, but they're connected to by the themes that were established in the earlier episodes. Right. So, yeah, because, you know, the advantage to having two game masters is we both get to play mm-hmm. um, or others get to play. Like we haven't actually met with a crew yet uh, to, to talk about, you know, there, there could be others amongst us who are interested in doing it. But you get a lot more like the potential for like narrative focus. When you have one game master kind of carrying it forward, but this is a game where everybody's riffing and improvising, so it may lend itself to having multiple game masters. I think yep. it'll be a an interesting thing to think out, think out, think out, figure out. <laughs> yeah, and it's also nice the the format also really helps with what if someone is away, they just don't happen to be there for that particular heist. 
um, and that's okay. Right. And then they know that they're not, you don't have to figure out how to get them into the middle of a heist the next time right. they're there because that heist is already over. Right. And even if we ended up having setting, splitting a uh, one heist over two sessions, you know, two and a half, two to two and a half hours, one night two and a two to two and a half hours, the other night, somebody just showing up. I think the, se the session lends itself to that. That was always the plan. Yeah. Yes. You <laughs> right? could do. Yeah. You could call for a flashback and then so-and-so shows up princess Leia pulling off the bounty hunter helmet. Right. Exactly. Right. Like, she just missed a session. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, we talked already ships first, characters first. I think there's advantages to doing it either way. You know, we talked about should we be following the rules or do we want to break them to start? Yeah. Um, I mean, do I we, think it's a very flexible system, but. Yeah. Do we drift slash hack the rules starting out or do we try and stay as close to rules as written as possible? I know there's a huge community around Fortune of the Dark that that drifts and, and makes new stuff. Um, you know, Scum and Villainy has been out for a while, but, you know, there was a uh, another another game out there that basically said, hey, we uh, a fan made game of, hey, we did Shadowrun in Fortune of the Dark. And, you know, that's a fairly new thing, I think. And there's a there's now a f I am not as in touch with the gaming industry as I used to be, but there are more than a handful of Forge in the Dark games out there now that have kind of rift immediately <laughs> from the initial blades <laughs> in the dark. Um, and it kind of encourages that. So uh, I won't feel bad if we drift from session one. And so perhaps what is the biggest question? I don't know. We'll see when we actually get the crew together. Uh, there may be other bigger ones, but uh, for us at least is uh, setting. So Scum and Villainy comes with its own uh, default setting kind of it's inspired by like you know star wars there's there's the way and there's mystics yep. and, and what have you uh which is just you know rebranded re jedi but it also kind of de definitely has aspects that are you know like we talked about before guardians of the galaxy serenity firefly other sources of inspiration in that in yeah. that genre speaking of I mean, drifting kind of from session one <laughs> session zero <laughs> might be what setting are we playing which immediately goes away right. from the book <laughs> right yeah exactly it, or you know you can build your own it certainly lends itself to that kind of world building, especially with like the downtime and, and, and all of it. Or do we go with Star Wars? Because tried and true, plus side to Star Wars that I always found uh, in the early days, the, my group had the challenge of we didn't want to play Star Wars because uh, it felt weird, like playing in a setting where all of, you know, it was already established where you're not going to play Luke Skywalker. So why do you want to play the game? Right. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a since subsequently, like, the shared lore, the shared understanding as the universe built out over time, right? There's just so much there. There's so many resources to pull on to tell that story. Um, and there's a lot of corners to the galaxy. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, we've been going for just about an hour. We, we always try and make it a little shorter and it always ends up right about an hour. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe that's good. Cause if we didn't try to make it shorter, maybe we'd probably be extra long. Uh, thank you for listening. If you have feedback, uh, we definitely love feedback. Uh, you can send it to us at podcast at layerofsecrets.com or via Twitter at layerofsecrets.com. You can also visit layerofsecrets.com and leave feedback, topic ideas, or your own thoughts on uh, on what we've talked about. Um, you know, we also put out some blog posts out there that are not released on the podcast, but might be of interest to you. So uh, head on over there 
and thank you.